Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Exercise. Are you out of shape? Are you struggling with the fitness? Then try Exercise, the best way to get in shape today. 100 of 100 experts agree exercise is good for your health. Available pretty much anywhere where you decide to perform exercise. Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where they can find us? You can like us on facebook.com slash the goldcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the goldcast. Although at an underscore on the Twitter handle at the goldcast underscore. You can also subscribe via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the goldcast. And be sure to hit that like and subscribe button because then you get notifications. Uh, when we go live every time we put up a new episode and feel free to leave comments and or reviews if you're on itunes that helps spread the word so if you like what you hear be sure to spread the word let your friends know or share on your profiles if you want to you're welcome to do that or retweet or whatever you want that way um we can reach more people and share the fan love yeah, definitely make sure you're actually oh, – this is kind of a call to arms for Gold Cast Nation. Please go on to iTunes and give us five stars and rate the podcast because in order for our podcast to move up in the search ranks, it actually needs to have reviews. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. We greatly appreciate it. Go on to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and say, hey, Goldcast rocks or whatever you'd like to say. All right? Here we go. Big episode today. We're going to be doing a uh, review of Game 3. Brian Hoyer led that Brian Hoyer led offense kind of breaks out. It was pretty exciting to see. I want to talk a little bit about how the game ended. We're going to go on that Vance McDonald trade. Uh, final little look at Mayweather versus McGregor. And then uh, that Kyrie trade fallout. What's going to happen? Here we go. Gold cast. Let's get busy, baby. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the faithful. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raven Salisa I, baby. Boom! All right, preseason game three, the big one. Out of all the preseason games, this is the one you always want to see because this is the one where you're going to get to see the biggest preview of our starting teams, and the 49ers did not disappoint. There's definitely a buzz in the Bay Area, a buzz in San Francisco. Raymond, let's start off your predictions last week on the Goldcast. As, we, as I always say, Raymond is the greatest fanalist in the game. He has the most powerful sports whispers I've ever seen. The whispers, the whispers. Whispers. He always has a very stunningly accurate way of predicting what's going to happen. And Raymond, you again did not disappoint. Break down your last week's prediction and how it came true. Break it down for the listeners. Well, I did predict a win, which I was wrong about, but that was something that honestly happened really late in the game, just kind of a fluke comeback with third and fourth stringers. So you know, take that for what you will. But I did say that the offense would bounce back after a dismal performance the week before against Denver. 
And sure enough, they did. I also said that they would score in their opening drive, which they also did. It was actually a terrific drive, something I haven't seen from a 49ers offense since even before Jim, the Jim Harbaugh era, which was more classic, you know, ground and pound and then kind of short West Coast style dunks. Not not a whole lot of deep balls from Greg Roman, although a lot of intermediate throws over the middle, you know, for. Anquan Bolden and Vernon Davis during that time. But um, this one was completely open. Big passing plays. Brian Hoyer was surgical in that first, the first like two or three series he had. He was nearly perfect, especially with a huge bomb over there that he threw to um, our amazingly fast wide receiver in Marquise Goodwin, who just blew away the uh, secondary of the Minnesota Vikings, which includes a pro bowler and a couple of other exceptional players. So I think this is a big, uh, a bigger test, a bigger complementary to the 49ers offense because the Vikings defense is really good. That's sort of their strength the last couple of years. That's how they've been competitive is with sort of, you know, mediocre offense, but a good defense will always keep you in games. And Minnesota Vikings do have that. They have a terrific front four. Their defensive line, I think they got over 100 and 12 sacks between the four of them. That's crazy productivity. And they have uh, the they have a pro bowler in the secondary and some good linebackers too. So the fact that Brian Hoyer was able to carve them up the way he did in the first half is very, very telling because we saw the full dress rehearsal for the, the 49ers offense, meaning most of the projected starters that are gonna, we're going to see in week one, that was pretty much almost everybody we saw in this game on both sides of the football. And offensively, Kyle Shanahan kind of looks like he showed a couple of his cards. That's the impression I got. Like, oh, here's a better look at what we can expect from Kyle Shanahan. You know, very similar to Atlanta's offense, you know, kind of big pass plays, uh, inter, you know, screen passes, just mixing it up. Everybody's involved. And then the occasional bomb. So which is something that the Niners haven't had since the Steve Young and Joe Montana eras. So it's it's pretty awesome to see, especially considering that we have the weapons to see it. So Marquise Goodwin had a good game. Pierre Garçon was amazing. He caught, uh, caught all six of his balls for 64 yards, only had one drop last year. So this is somebody who's just as reliable, if not more so, than Anquan Bolden. So Brian Hoyer's pass rating was 111.1. Aaron Lynch, dad didn't think that Aaron Lynch played well, but he actually had eight total pressures on 19 rushes. That means half the time he was putting pressure and disrupting the rhythm of the quarterback. That's pretty good in my book. So, um, And that's not with – so he played partial time with the starters, but majority of his time on the field was with second team and third team. So take, take that into consideration too because if he was doing that kind of productivity with, you know, with a, a – Less skilled supporting cast. Imagine what that would be like when he has, you know, Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, all pushing that that line around. You know, I think you can expect big things out of Aaron Lynch with those guys supporting him versus the group he mostly played with on Sunday. But I mean, what was your take? Because I kind of felt like the. I mean, I liked both sides of it, but Minnesota has a pretty crappy offense so the i the performance from the defense is like what i would expect like i expect our defense to play i expect a better defense to kind of overwhelm a mediocre offense like minnesota but on the flip side 
I was kind of surprised at how well, not surprised because I did predict it, but pleasantly surprised at at how consistent it continued afterwards. You know, the offensive productivity against a really good Minnesota defense. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, I thought that I thought the offense they came out guns blazing, and I was really surprised. And I think I think this is important for all Goldcast Nation, Forty Nine Faithfuls, to do. You know, we're I was very quick to judge the dismal approach of Brian Hoyer's offense in game in preseason game two. I was very, very down on it. And I was like, I, you know, expect to see a lot of that. This is what I'm expecting. This is par for the course. And a lot of 49er faithful was on, were, were on that tip. A lot of people um, that are part of the Goldcast Nation were kind of like, yeah, he's super whack, blah, 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 blah. Okay, now, having said that, which we all did, I think it's important now to acknowledge that Brian Hoyer played a complete opposite game in preseason week three. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. Like, you can't just bash him when he's doing whack, going, see, 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 he did real whack. But then when he did when he plays when he plays good, you've got to then acknowledge that. You can't just be like, oh, you know, you you, you have to take the good with the bad. You can't just acknowledge the bad and then dismiss the good. Does that make sense what I'm saying? There's a little bit of a winded way to say it, but Yeah. And I mean, I yeah, think so- you said some of this during another one of our conversations. You believe that this is kind of the last two games of Hoyer in particular is kind of indicative of what we can expect to get from him. Like sometimes he's going to be hot. Sometimes he's going to be not. But at the same time, some of this will also, because there's 11 guys on the field, some of it will also depend on his supporting cast and how will they support him to do his job. Exactly. And I think that's really important. I think that's, that's a really important thing to acknowledge that this if you've if you've watched Brian Hoyer's career, which I haven't paid a tremendous amount of attention to it, but I have watched him. I've seen he's been in the he's been in top headlines plenty of times. I've seen games he's been involved in. There's a little bit of a yo-yo aspect with Brian Hoyer. You know, sometimes he's great, sometimes he's not. He's 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 consistently inconsistent. That's pretty much what you can depend upon with him. So these back-to-back games, I think they are indicative. I think the way we lost that game in particular, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, we talked about this a little bit off-air, but I think the way we lost that game, I feel like that's a microcosm of what we could expect to see during this year of the 49ers. A, uh, a team that is in, is in the running, and sometimes they pull it off. Sometimes they pull it off, they win, like preseason game one, and then preseason game three, they lose it in heartbreaking fashion, like just some random thing that you know now granted there was third and fourth stringers in this particular situation but i think it it you might be chopped chopped up chalked up to youth or to how how the how the team is playing in a how, you know how the team is playing or who the team is playing against maybe a more experienced team later on in the season a veteran team that knows knows how to play all four quarters but i think that that is that's something we can expect. I feel like the what we saw at the end of that game, it like bothered me, even though it shouldn't have. You know, it's just who cares? It's preseason game three, but it, it, but it just it made me feel like I was watching. I was like, I feel like I'm gonna see something like this a couple more times in the season. Only it's gonna matter and it's gonna go for the record. You know, I still I still hold to six and ten as being the probably the base best case scenario. If Hoyer can play like that consistently for four quarters every game, then yeah, then man, who knows? You know, maybe we even go eight and eight. I just don't expect that. And nothing about his historical 
play has suggested that he's capable of playing that consistently. You know, granted, he he's now under Shanahan, and Shanahan does seem to really have a way with quarterbacks and a way with offenses. And it's obvious that the entire team is been revitalized and this you know i mean it's a practically brand new team almost nobody from from the previous regimes is is here so you know who's who's to say who knows could he you know could he pull like i don't think he's gonna pull a hardball like turnaround i'm gonna go like 13 and 3 i don't think that's gonna happen you know but but no there's not enough enough established talent no and seeing this game seeing the way the offense played seeing the way brian horror was accurately using all of his weapons, accurately throwing passes, you know, threading it through the needle. And the offense was completely in sync. Whereas last week they weren't, everybody was on the page. You, everyone's on the same page. You really got to see what the 49ers were capable of offensively. And I thought defensively, okay, here, here's what we said, right? They've got kind of a dismal line. They're not very good offensively. So then what should, what should the Reuben Fosters, the DeForest Buckners, the uh, the Solomon Thomases, what what should the, the Navarro Bowmans, what should these guys do? These guys, what they should do is they should go in there and they should dominate, right? That's how they should play because if this is a terrible offensive line, then our defense, which we already know is going to be, we we all are very confident is going to be pretty good this year. Those guys should go out there and dominate. And what were they doing? They're putting pressure on the quarterback. They were getting sacks. They were making big plays, and they were basically just making life miserable for the Minnesota Vikings offense. Well, that's what they're supposed to do. In that scenario, that's exactly how it should go down. I was very relieved and happy to see that that is exactly what happened. That was great. That was awesome. I think in in general, your takeaway, if you're a 49er faithful, your takeaway from game three is that there is a lot of promise. And there's a lot of promise with this team and that they are capable of, just like they're capable of kind of really disappointing you in preseason game two and making you go, wow, what was going on? Like nothing was in sync. They're also capable of completely turning it around and turning in a fantastic performance. The question is, now the real question is, can they do it for four quarters? Because, now granted, this team looks way better than Chip Kelly's team. I'm not in any way comparing them. But we saw a first half 49er team that was pretty pretty badass last year. I mean, they, they were in the lead in the second quarter a lot of games. There was some stat about it, which I don't remember anymore. You know, that's not my style. I don't, I don't memorize that kind of stuff. So the, the, the 49ers, but they, they were an excellent first half football team. Now the question is, can they be an excellent second half football team? That's what I really want to see coming, going into game one uh, of the regular season. What are your thoughts on that? I think, I think there's some truth to that because it actually it's kind of when you when you I didn't think about the Chip Kelly part because that was true. We were very competitive in the first half of majority of the games last year, and it was in the second half where teams made adjustments and Chip Kelly was unable to adjust to their counter. So it it that's where everything kind of just fell by the wayside, and you know the games were lost. It was very few games we were competitive in. Um, so I, but it's funny cause if, if that's what we can get out of Chip Kelly with this, with this roster, what can we expect with Shanahan with a, for pretty much a fresh new roster, except with some main, some guys from the offensive line, Carlos Hyde, all the offensive players are gone with the exception of Jeremy Curley. So I feel like the ceiling might be even higher, you know what I mean? Like this roster with a much more experienced and polished offensive mind who, uh, who's been in the NFL for 
you know, a decade more so than Chip Kelly, who was on his third year when he came to us. I think there's much more room for we can expect a lot more. Like we can expect much better like adjustments like like Chip Kelly wasn't equipped to adjust when we got counterpunched in the second half. And Shanahan strikes me as the type of guy based on his resume, his previous resume. I don't know what it's going to look like as a head coach, but I do know what it looks like as an offensive coordinator. And he just continue his system is very complex and uses a multitude of role players, very similar to the old school West Coast offense system that we had with Joe and Steve Young. The difference is this is a much more fast pace kind of more deep passes not like dinks and dunks although he does use the famous slant play because he's got guys like Marquis Goodwin and Pierre Garçon who can run those traps really well so that is a la San Francisco of old but I think that it's going to be more of like we're competitive through four quarters but then we fall short because we have younger guys because we have you know liabilities in the secondary and our front seven is not always going to get to the quarterback just like you know you're not going to make every pass and you're not going to make every field goal it's the same the same odds you know but the point is once you get polished and figure out the system those odds improve so i think the first half of the season is going to be very kind of up and down and i think the second half of the season is going to be where things tend to pick up a little bit and we start to get a better rhythm and i still think six and ten at the end of the day could be wrong i uh, we could be wrong i uh, let let us us make sure (laughs) Well, let let us make let's make sure that we're very clear to the 49er faithful to the Goldcast Nation. We really hope we're wrong, and the 49ers win way more games. We really hope that that we are. I, I'm really just trying to play conservative with this season. I know you are too. We 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 tr- we last two seasons straight. You did a great job of breaking down the potential of the coaching staff and the team that was put around each coaching staff, the potential of what they could possibly do if everything fell into the best-case scenarios. And unfortunately, for two years straight, we were burned pretty bad on that. So this year, I think you and I are taking a much more conservative approach, and we're, we're, not, we're, not, ready to, we're not ready to proclaim this to be the greatest team since Harbaugh or, or anything. We're just saying, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. There's a lot of things to be yeah. excited about. There's a there's a, a lot of championship pedigree in the front office that proven success, both from a coaching perspective and a player's perspective. I, by player's perspective, I mean John Lynch. From a coaching perspective, the people he's put underneath him, Adam Adam Peter, or from a scouting perspective, Adam Peters, which we had a huge podcast on Adam Peters. We can throw it up again. Uh, a bit. It's probably our most listened to YouTube one. The game changers, what we called him, Martin Mayhew, from a former GM from the Detroit Lions. Obviously, uh, they they have really been able to guide John Lynch and help him make some great moves and great decisions in the draft that have led to uh, a rejuvenation in in the in the team, especially defensively. We have Kyle Shanahan. He's got a proven track record. Obviously, took a team to a Super Bowl last year. Has successfully managed to create powerful offenses, regardless of where he's been or what weapons he's had. So, proven pedigrees. And you, we've often seen time and time again that we, you, we've seen that a great coach can get a lot out of players that maybe on paper don't look that competitive. So having said all that, 
instead of getting super excited and having us jump out and be like, man, did you see preseason game three? We are going to smoke it. Instead of doing that, we're just keeping calm, taking a more conservative approach, and let's just see what happens. Gold Cast Nation, let's just see what happens, right? Let, that's all we can do. That's, that's, we don't have any other choice, but we, 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 have, we all agree that so far, so good. Great bounce back, great start. So let's see, and I hope we're wrong. And I know, Raymond, I speak for the both of us when we say to the 49er faithful, the Gold Cast Nation, we hope we're wrong. Like, for sure, 100%, we hope we're wrong. Like, I hope we're wrong. I hope we do way better than that. But I think at the best-case scenario, 6-10, and 10, I think 6-10 and 10 is very realistic given these team struggles. And, and you know, we brought it up. I brought it up, and you brought it up again. Let's see what happens in the third and fourth quarter because we looked pretty hot in the first two quarters last year, too. So let's wait and see. I think there's I think there's a lot of so room for optimism. On. I just don't want to jump the gun too soon with these guys, just because you know it, you never know. This is uh, and everything has looked good in in contrast, but you never know how it's going to translate on the field. You know, Chip Kelly and them they all kind of said the right things and seem to be doing the right things in the off season too. Last year, with the exception of Trent Balky still being Trent Balky. But uh, and I know it was there's been a stark contrast in the way things have been running since John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan came into town. And that in itself, compared to the last, you know, three, four years, obviously gave a lot of optimism and excitement to fans. But we're still never going to we're still not going to know until week one. That's when, you know, and, and actually not even week one, because week one is kind of a little can be iffy for every teams. You know, some teams will come out looking like crap in week one and then they'll go on to, you know, go and win the N- NFC or AFC championship. So you never know. And the Niners have been great the last like three years in week one, but have been, you know, on the losing side of the entire of the entire division. So you never know. Six and ten would be great. Seven and nine would be awesome. Eight and eight would be amazing. Do you think we're better than the Rams? Because I'll tell you, our good friend who will be back soon to do uh, some uh, NFC West preview with us, Louis Bartoni, one of our co-hosts, he believes that he thinks the the Rams are better than the Niners on paper. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Uh, maybe on paper they have more experience. I'd have to look at look at sort of the age and experience. I mean, they have more pro bowlers on that squad collectively. But in terms of – I don't know what you're going to get from Sean McVay because he's only been in the league doing what he's doing for a few years, whereas Kyle Shanahan literally has three times the amount of experience that he does. So – and he has a lot – a lot more proven he's, his track record's a lot more proven than Sean McVay where Sean McVay kind of took over what Kyle Shanahan had already established in Washington and then made it made it better you know made it better but more or less maintaining that same that's a similar philosophy and obviously adding whatever two cents he had I don't know I don't know that the the offense well enough to tell you what those two cents are but I know that it was different and it did seem Kirk Cousins did seem to play better, even better than he did with Kyle Shanahan. He played good with Kyle Shanahan, but also wasn't the starting quarterback the entire time. And then when he did take over, he seemed to progress well under Sean McVay. But we'll see what he does as a head coach. I think in, if, if I'm looking at it on paper, perhaps Louie has a point. But from what I see, 
based on, you know, if we're going head coach versus head coach, I'm going to give the bet to Kyle Shanahan, not just because I'm a Niner fan, but because he's just way, way more. You have one chess player versus a, a, a much younger chess player, and I'm going to take my bet against the guy who knows the game a little bit better. Agreed. So moving on, breaking news, Vance McDonald has been traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a fourth-round draft pick. Now, I'm going to start this off by saying I know you've complimented his blocking a lot. I was never a big Vance McDonald Donald fan. I thought he really he tended to um, he tended to drop a lot of passes in big moments over the last couple of years. And I thought last year we saw some uptick. I thought the re-signing from Balky was a bit weird. I don't know if I'm going to say it's excessive. I don't really know what tight ends mostly get around the league. I don't really follow that that often, but it 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 didn't seem necessarily warranted in my opinion. I wasn't really sad to see him go, uh, but I want to hear your thoughts, Raymond. What do you think about this trade for a f- what this uh, yeah the trade for a fourth round draft pick? I don't give a shit. I like the fact that we got a fourth round draft pick. <laughs> I mean, we have Kyle Juszczyk. We have uh, Kittle, who I think is going to be great. We also still have Blake Bell. Um, uh, no love lost here. You know, we lost Butterfingers. Big deal. <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> to be honest, um, I, I loved Vance as a blocker. I thought he was tremendous in that role. And blocking was obviously a huge part of our game. But now we have nine picks. And that's more important to me with this group, especially with you know, who we have left. I mean, we don't, we, uh, to be honest, I'm more excited about the players we have than trying to give Vance, you know, his fifth chance at, at tapping into his potential. Uh, at this point, yeah, I think you're, you can expect exactly what, what we've seen his entire career, which is occasional drop balls. And, and, uh, in addition to occasional drop balls, you're going to have fragility. And that's just, uh, the way it works you know that but we have we have so many other weapons Kyle Jusek is not only going to be fullback because he's also going to be catching passes and he's kind of somewhat built like a tight end as well I mean George Kittle's going to see a lot of action he shows a lot more potential to be honest I uh I think both those players Jusek was the Pro Bowl fullback that we got and paid a lot. You know, I know people think that we overpaid. I don't, you know, relative to what other teams are willing to pay him. I, you know, I think there's there's room to debate that. But I'm more excited than those guys. So, you know, thanks, Vance. But, you know, no thanks. I think the the, the Trent Balky paying him at that last minute, I think that was kind of more him kind of paying service to a guy that, you know, he liked personally and saw him actually you know trying and making little strides here and there to tap into his potential that he saw when Balky drafted him and he knew that he was going to get fired at the end of the season so he said all right let me at least do this guy one solid before I go I think that's kind of more what it was that's kind of what it seemed like to me too uh I I love your uh your very uh basic assessment I don't give a shit <laughs> I love that assessment. <laughs> yeah I don't really care either uh, I don't really care either. I was like, ah, who cares? Like, deuces. Late. Peace. See ya. All right, so let's move on, Raymond. McGregor versus Mayweather. I know you're not a big fight fan, but I wanted to know what you think. There's, obviously, there's everyone's been talking about this fight ad nauseum this week. What did you think? I loved the fight. I thought it was great. As a non-fight fan, as a guy who doesn't, well, not a non-fight fan, but not a casual light fa- uh, fight fan, what did you think? I thought it was pretty entertaining. You know, I haven't really watched, I haven't watched boxing, you know, 
willingly since like the Mike Tyson era. That's when it was like a fan, you know, a family affair for for us growing up. So I don't. Uh, that was. Uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining, especially. I thought it was. I was really. I felt like no matter what the outcome was, I knew that McGregor was most likely going to lose, and that you know. It was, a super long shot that he would win at something like that. I mean, he's stepping into somebody else's completely different sport. You know, that's, that's just, it's so rare that for somebody to do that, you know, Deion Sanders was pretty good at both sports. Bo Jackson was excellent at both sports outside of those two guys. You know, Michael Jordan was a failure at baseball. You know, it's, it's hard to do a completely different sport. That's just out of your element. You know, it takes away for McGregor. It took like, you know, three quarters of his, of what he's used to being able to do. And you could, you could see he could, he couldn't even help himself. Half the time he was given these chop blocks, these, these chops to the, the side, side palm chops to, to Mayweather. Yeah, those hammer fists in the to back rack. of his head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those those are hilarious. I was I what really impressed me was his his amazingly lightning fast switch stance that he tried to pull on Mayweather. It didn't necessarily serve him too much purpose after the first couple rounds because I think Mayweather was kind of uh, pretty much shut that down after he figured out that he was going to be able, capable of doing that. But uh, I thought that was impressive, and I feel like McGregor came out a winner no matter what because I was like, wow, I'm pretty impressed with this guy. He's a total asshole, but uh, he's a total asshole when it comes to marketing and when it comes to being in the ring. But he's actually not a bad dude outside of that. He never gets into trouble. He's never been arrested. He you know, has a girlfriend. He, I think he has a kid, right? Uh, he, uh, outside mm-hmm. of that, he's he you know, kind of a – stand-up dude he's just kind of a controversial when it comes to marketing his fights and you know he tends to be a you know peacock i call him the peacock showman inside of the ring which has become all the rage nowadays so and i think nobody does it better than mcgregor so that part you know it's like whatever you know mayweather i mayweather i can't stand him no matter what so but it was cool it was it was cool it was I, it was cool because McGregor kind of didn't care at the end of it. He was super happy and galvanized, and you could barely understand him. <laughs> but uh, but it was fun. I thought it was really fun too. It uh, for for fight fan aficionados, this this really pretty much went the way it was supposed to go. Mayweather threw under twenty punches in the first two rounds. I think it was total. I, I think it was six six to two, six. It was six in the first round, and then six in the second. I'm not entirely sure if that's the exact number, but he clearly was he clearly was watching everything McGregor was doing and and if you've watched any Mayweather fight, they pretty much typically go one way. Rounds 1 through 4 is your best chance to knock him out, which has never happened in 50 fights. And what he does is he he memorizes your offensive pattern in the first 4 rounds. He lets you do most of the punching and he just memorizes where everything's coming from. And then once he's figured that out, in the second half of the match, he begins to pick you apart and then usually w- tr- tries to win on the judges' scorecards. Doesn't make for exciting fighting, but it's a winning formula that he's used 50 times to success and to win. He now owns the world the record for the most undefeated wins of all time, beating Marco Massiano's previous record of 49-0, who also retired as a champ. So it it I thought it thought it went textbook. It was exciting to see Connor do that. It was pretty clear by the seventh round and eighth round that he was pretty gassed, and in the ninth, I mean, he just looked really far away. It was he had a, there were he looked so wobbly, 
And then in the 10th, I thought for sure he's going down. You know, he's definitely going down. And then he did. And then, you know, and then it, they said they – some people thought it ended a little early. Mm, I'm not really sure if it ended early. I, I think – I agree it would have been nice to just see him hit the canvas and, you know, just to get that definitive knockout. But at the same time, I, I think you let that fight go 30 more seconds. That's exactly what's going to happen. I don't think that by stopping the fight when they did, they somehow uh, prevented a possible comeback. I don't think McGregor was coming back from that at all. I don't. I think he was, he was no, on the way could out. No, yeah, could have even been a could have been like a judgment courtesy call because the ref's like, okay, this guy's never done this before, you know, might be good. Considering that he's starting to look lethargic, you know, at this point, you know, I should probably call this now. Otherwise, you know, something maybe something maybe serious might happen to him because he's not used to taking this kind of he's not used to taking punishment from this type of sport versus his other sport. I don't know. That's just that's my perspective. My very, very, very novice, very unqualified perspective. No, I, I'm with you. I totally agree. I, I totally agree that you know that 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 could have been in play. You know, I who knows? I, I don't know either. Definitely don't know enough about the referees' judgments on that. But it was a great fight. It was good to see. Uh, no matter what, I wanted to see one of them get their comeuppance, and we got it. And I think that's the best part is that you know someone got their comeuppance on it. A good fight, good show. I think Canelo versus Triple G is gonna be the best. That fight's gonna be crazy next month. I look forward to that one. So I don't even know what that means. Topic of the e- <laughs> last topic of the evening. Kyrie Irving trade is it going to go down? I think the trade's going to happen, but I don't think Cleveland's going to get any more out of it. To be honest, I think they're asking too much at this point. You, as as a sports team, you have to part of your due diligence is to evaluate a player's health. And the Celtics gave you everything that they got. I and based on the Celtics, you know, history and how they, you know, have handled their franchise, I've never heard of them ever being, you know, shady or or or. What's the what's the phrase I'm looking for or shorthanded in the information that they give uh, about players health in something like this. So I think Cleveland's just kind of trying to milk something because, you know, that it turns out that he's probably not as healthy as originally projected and perhaps won't be ready to go when they need him ready to go. So they're thinking like, hey, um, you know, we'd like it's, it's kind of reminds me of my day job, actually, stuff that's happening right now. But. What I think is going to happen is, you know, the trades are probably going to go through because the Celtics want Kyrie Irving. I think he complements that team much better than Isaiah Thomas, even though Isaiah Thomas was very happy in Boston and didn't necessarily want to be traded coming off of an MVP caliber like season. But at the same time, uh, a deal's a deal in my book. You know, I don't if I was Boston, I wouldn't give him anything more. Would you? No, and I agree with you. I think a deal is a deal. I don't think they're going to get any more. I think you could pretty much, you could just disavow that right now. I think what's going to happen is that they're going to they're going to have a staring contest to the end, and then they're just going to let it go. I think they're asking for too much too too much now too. It's not like Kyrie Irving's LeBron James. It's not Kevin Durant. Not Michael Jordan. You know, he's he's a really really good offensive powerhouse, but he isn't this incredible two-way player that manages to make his entire team better. He's not that. He wants to try and see if he can become something like that, at least in terms of building up his team and seeing if he can lead a team to greatness. And I totally applaud him and respect him for it. But let's not forget 
his very big defensive liabilities that he presents as well for for the Boston Celtics. It's not like he's this incredible two-way player. There's still a lot of holes in his defensive game, despite his incredible offensive power. So I think I think they hold off. I think they call the bluff, and then I think it just goes through. I think it has to go through. I think the political fallout of bringing those two players back to their respective teams is something that neither team wants to experience. They both want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, just get it done. And so I say you can, you know. Exactly. Count count on it. Go get your shine box, Cleveland. That's right. Dub Nation, you can for sure count on it. All right. So concludes, Ray, another edition of the 49er Goldcast. But before we end, why don't you let them know where they can find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis and on Instagram at Ray Solis One. That's all, folks. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rudy Solis 3RD, Rudy Solis 3rd. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Goldcast time, same Goldcast channel. This is, is the Goldcast. <laughs>